All right, guys, we're live. You are on the Rick and YouTube channel. And today we're all talking about making your first 100K in wholesaling. And I'm not going to do this in the normal manner we do it. I'm going to kind of give you the express version. For those super achievers out there that want to make a really quick 100K, I'm going to show you a couple key differences that you need to include in your wholesaling business. And we're going to go over that all today so what i did is i put a link in the comments if you want to connect with me on a mastermind and as soon as i get done here i will go ahead and run you through it so we're talking about making a hundred thousand dollars i know a lot of you are going oh my god that's a lot of money i'm actually here to tell you it's not nearly as much money as you think about it and some of you it could just be two or three deals away that's it the question is, could you do two or three deals and make a hundred grand? Absolutely. But you're going to have to find some stuff a little bit more high profit margin. So I'm going to show you almost each and every way that you could easily generate a hundred K in your business. And then most importantly, I'm going to show you how you can consistently do this once you get in the flow of wholesaling. And it's not nearly as hard as you possibly think it is. So let's get into it because we got a lot to cover here today and I need you guys to pay attention. So pick it up, guys. It's Monday. I know you guys had a nice long weekend. We are deep into the fall and to me, it's an exciting time for wholesaling. So there's a couple of things we have to do. We have to go through a checklist of things we have to do to make 100K in wholesaling. And the reason I like to do this checklist is so you guys completely understand that there's no accident making 100K in wholesaling. And honestly, the things I give you on this list, if you do not do them, most likely you're not gonna make 100K, hands down. Forget about making in one month, even one year. If you do not go through the Rick End wholesaling checklist of musts, then honestly, you're gonna suffer. So let's go and start with the most simple and the basic, which you know exactly what I'm gonna say. These have to be off-market properties. I'm sorry. When you have an on-market property, number one, most likely that seller and or realtor or broker is swinging for the fence for the highest and best price because they feel they have a very good property. And honestly, I don't even blame people for doing it. So off-market properties gives you an advantage when it comes to wholesaling. These are typically properties that nobody else is bidding on that the seller needs help and a lot more than just selling the house. And number three, you don't have to pay the most for the property because when somebody puts it on market, the highest bidder usually wins. And if you think about high bidding and wholesaling, they do not work together. So <clears throat> I've never seen someone be successful in wholesaling that deals with on-market properties. Can you do on-market properties? Absolutely, as a beginner. It is a complete nightmare. Trust me on this. You see, you need to find people that want to sell their properties that you do not have a parade of other people constantly barraging them with offers. Because if you have that, then he or she who pays the most is the winner and that actually would make you the loser in wholesaling. So make sure you absolutely understand that. Next thing. You have to be direct to seller without having that direct connection to the seller. AKA, if you go through a realtor or a broker, you're never going to get the seller's true motivations 
You're never going to get the truth of what's happening. And you are most likely going to get a lot of resistance from the broker or the realtor. Why? Because their ego is telling them, get as much money as you humanly can possibly get, no matter what the outcome is. If it takes them six months to find out that highest and best offer, that's what the seller is going to get. And six months is not going to be advantageous to you as a wholesaler. So if you go direct to seller, you can simply cut down on the chain. So you ever remember that time you were in grade school and they did the little story where they, one person told another person. And by the time it got to full circle around, it, it had nothing to do with what they initially talked to it. And that's what happens when you don't go directly to the seller. You get a spin. And nine times out of 10, you are not going to get the truth. And if you don't get to get the truth, you are not going to get a good deal in wholesaling. Now, knowing that, now you know you need to go direct to seller. I very Every now and then, I've had a third party, either a property manager or maybe even a title company. But for the most part, when he or she connects and talks directly, it is a much faster, much more transparent um, transaction, and it usually gets done more effective and you wind up actually getting a better deal. Go ahead and prove me wrong. Go ahead and go on MLS, get on with a realtor or broker and go through your three to six month fight to get a slight discount off overvalued property that wants retail. How are you going to talk them down 40 and 50%? You're not going to do it. And that's why I don't even bother doing it. Have I done it before? Yes. But the amount of work required, the amount of experience required is not for the faint of heart, especially if you're brand new and you're just starting out wholesaling. The last thing I want you to do is absolutely struggle in this area. So direct to seller guys, off market property. Those are the sequential order. <clears throat> now, number three, you got to have a motivated seller or a motivated house or in the absolute perfect world in wholesaling. You have a motivated seller, which means they want to sell. They're having difficulties. It might be financial. It might be stress. It might be emotional. They want certainty in life. And that way we exchange speed and convenience for them. Now, the house might be motivated, meaning the house has a ton of deferred maintenance. It is completely outdated and it needs a lot of work. And the average person's not only going to be able to get, they're not going to be able to get conventional financing, definitely FHA. Uh, maybe a regular conventional loan if they put down 30%. <clears throat> and what this does, guys, is it if the house is motivated, I always stay with the seller because it's just a matter of time before the seller comes motivated. And then if you have a seller that really needs to sell the property and the house is motivated, these are two conditions that would make you a perfect wholesaling deal. So it stands to reason you're going to have to have at least one of the two of those conditions to actually get a very positive outcome from wholesaling. Guys, I don't get good deals unless the seller is motivated or the house is motivated. And if I get them both, it's usually one of the easiest wholesale transactions to do. Guys, we are not realtors. You've got to remind yourself every day we don't act as realtors because realtors look at properties and they convince people to list their properties. As wholesalers, we're looking to buy discounted properties so we can move them fast to our cash buyers. So it, it stands to believe they're in two separate worlds. That's why we want off-market, direct to seller, and we want to deal with motivation. Seller, 
or house, either way, I want motivation to make it work. So now that we know the basic requirements, uh, let me give you what you need to hit the 100K number. You're going to need volume. And mostly this is going to focus if you're new. If you're new to the business six months or less, it's like taking a car from zero. How do you get to 100 miles an hour? You got to go to mile one. Then you got to go to mile two, which basically 100% doubling. Then you're going to go to four, eight, 16, 32, 64. And before you know it, you're at, you're at 100. But so many of you guys try to get to 100 and think you can just jump driving 80, 90 miles an hour. You're going to have to build momentum. And it's painful in the beginning. I get it. I was there. I didn't have a lot of leads. I tried to make every lead work, even leads that were really bad because I didn't have a lot of leads. So how do you make up for this? You make it up with volume, tons of volume. I will show you in today's live stream how to get tons of volume. We are getting ready to jump on it. And last but not least, man, you're going to have to hustle and grind it out. I have never met a hustler, a wholesaler, AKA hustler, that didn't go through at least two full seasons of hustle. What do I mean season? Season six months. It means they grind it out. Whatever they had to do to get those deals done, they just got it done. It wasn't pretty. It was actually quite painful. And it forced them to take actions they normally wouldn't have taken. And once you can get through two seasons of hustle, you can really dial this business in. And I'll go on to say, if you can get two years in the wholesaling, you write the rules on how much you want to work, what you want to focus on, and you can actually do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you guys, it's really, really important that you understand this part. Now, I'm going to do it in reverse order based on profitability. So some of you are looking like to hit 100K right off the bat. Some of you are just looking to get your first deal started. So don't look at the order and so much of importance, but I'm going to show you in a perfect world for a 100K month or even 100K a year for those of you just starting out on how you do it. Now, in the beginning, you've got to do wholesaling. And your biggest key to this is you got to have volume because volume is going to make up for your inexperience. It's also going to teach you how to talk to your sellers. And more importantly, it's going to teach you how to qualify and build rapport with any seller. The only way you get good at it is you hear a ton of objections. You get success on deals. And the only way you can do it is volume. So if you only have three leads and you spend all your energy on those three leads, odds are you're going to get disappointed because you don't have enough volume. Now, do not replace volume with easy stuff. MLS listings, just basically going through Zillow Fizbos. You can do all that stuff, but that is not a replacement because I can get you thousands and thousands of leads just on those two sources alone, but most likely they are not going to be the best leads in the world because you know how I feel about all market properties. They're a pain in the butt. It doesn't mean you can't do them. They're just a pain in the butt. So let's walk through. So now I gave you the checklist, the two things in your attitude you have to have to make it work. So number one, I want you to understand this. I love probates. Why? All you got to do is two or three probates a year. Heck, I'll even challenge you to do one probate a year. My average probate deal is four times more profitable than a standard assignment contract. So if you did 15 grand on your standard assignments, 
it is reasonable to say if you actually worked probates and did it consistently and didn't quit on, you know, the 89th day, that 15 grand will turn into 45. But you got to be willing to put in the work. And it's not so much that it's a ton of work. It's actually, there's only so many leads. <clears throat> you basically mail them a letter. Some, some of you do sticky notes, but a mailing a letter works very well and getting contact with your PR. The problem is why most people don't like to do it because they don't get instant results and they feel if they don't get a deal within three months, it's not working. Probates don't work that way. And that's why they're four times as profitable because if you can stick it out six months a year and just get one, that's like doing four deals how you do on a normal deal. And not only that, most of these owners in, in the states you deal with, especially Florida, the owners are out of state, the properties are vacant, and they need a lot of work, and they need extra time to get a probate deal done. What does that mean? <clears throat> that extra time, especially as you're a new beginner, gives you the luxury of taking months to sell your property, and you can sell it sometimes close to retail if it's not in too bad of a shape. And that's why probates make the absolute perfect wholesaling lead. High motivation. And number two, they're easy to sell because you get very little resistance because they're vacant and most of them have a lot of deferred maintenance, which means the seller doesn't want to fix it up. So they're willing to give a discount. You just have to haggle that discount. The best thing you can do in probates is work out an amazing rapport conversation with them. So that being said, <clears throat> I, I would always push you to start with probates. Now, the second factor that is going to 10x your profitability in your deals is going to be wholesales. And a wholesale is basically when you take a, I'm sorry, it's basically when you take a wholesale deal that's not in too bad a shape, that maybe it's a desirable 322 in your area, and the house looks really good. Sometimes they even come furnished. It just might need a little bit of cleanup. It might need a pressure cleaner. It might need a paintbrush. Maybe just a minor amount of flooring. Here's the key. How do we define a wholesale? A wholesale is basically when you take a wholesale deal that you got a really good deal on it. It needs minimal rehab. Here is the key distinguisher. Rick, what is the magic number? It's usually $10,000 or less and less than two weeks are worth of work. It can't be 20 because 20 is going to wind up being a month's worth of work and it's going to screw up your numbers. So if you can keep that in mind, it's 10K or less. When it's 10K or less, that means you can turn it around. The whole key with wholesale is they are cherry-picked properties that can be churned fast. What's my definition of a wholesale? From the time you put it under contract to the time you sell it, no more than 90 days. On the 91st day, you sell it for whatever the market price is, and move on with your life. Now you're thinking, man, Rick, 90 days is a long time. It's not at all. So if I was going to make $15,000 on a wholesale on a quick assignment, and all I have to do is a little pressure cleaning, maybe I got to put in a new fridge and pay a cleaning company to go and clean up, maybe paint one room, then I can turn that into two and a half times the profit. Maybe the 15K goes to around 40. Here's the key is I'm in and out. I'm not doing the work. I'm going to pay someone to do it. And if I keep it to 10 grand, that should keep me under two weeks and I won't get stuck in this ridiculous rehab, which fix and flippers get stuck in every day in this market. That's the last thing I ever want you to do. 
So you have to incorporate wholesales and probates to consistently hit your 100K. That's what makes it super easy in my business. Now, I'm not going to let you off the hook and not do your regular wholesaling business. What do I mean by your regular wholesaling operations? I'm talking about the singles and the doubles that you have to hit to make deals work. How do we do that? Number one, we go after our government list. I'm not going to go through every government list. You guys know how to do it. And if you don't know how to do it, go over to freewholesaling.com. Me and Zach teach you step-by-step in detail every type of list that you can tack. And we want to look for lists with the highest motivations. So I'll give you a couple examples. I'm just going to give you like three of them because I can go on forever on this. You guys know that. But so if I'm doing probates, I'm doing wholesales, and I can just get a deal every other month then all I have to do is fill it up with my regular wholesaling operation. Now, if you're just starting out, you've got to find places where you're going to find the most motivated sellers and the most motivated properties. And I've already given you how to do that. My favorite government list, hands down, is always going to be code violations. Why? Because where there's smoke, there's fire. It's really simple. <laughs> People like let their grass get too high. They leave boards up on the windows. There's a hole in the roof. There's a blue tarp on the roof after a while. The city gets called out. Either the city comes by and inspects it or some sort of Karen neighbor rats you out. You know how fun they are. And if you don't fix it, you can be levied $100 per day fine against you. Governments are extremely inefficient in this manner and they don't care what you say. Once they, they put that lien on your property with lawyers and stuff, it doesn't go away until you get it cleared up. And once it's recorded, you're pretty much in trouble on that. So I'm always going to attack code violations. How often should you pull that list? As often as you humanly possibly can without driving yourself nuts. There's, there's no other way to tell you that. Um, the next list I would attack, definitely going to be pre-foreclosures. And pre-foreclosures is basically someone that's behind on their mortgage payment. This is one of the easier lists to get. Because honestly, guys, it is public information and it's a lawsuit. So you should have zero... I mean, I repeat, zero resistance when getting pre-foreclosures. I absolutely love them. Now, another list I like, which you only you don't have to pull up every month. You can actually just pull this once a year. Because depending on when taxes come due in your town, when people don't pay their property taxes, the city needs that money to function for their police departments, their schools, their fire departments all their government buildings. So if the seller does, if the homeowner can't afford to pay the taxes, they'll best basically sell a tax certificate to raise money to get someone else to take their place in that and they get paid an interest rate, okay? So code violations, pre-foreclosures and tax delinquencies are all super motivational ways to find the best wholesaling deals. Now, of the three I just mentioned, I would use those three specifically, tax delinquencies, pre-foreclosures, and code violations, and I would do reverse driving for dollars. And then this is nothing more than the technique of going out there and basically putting a note on the door saying something like, hey, just got a quick question about your house. It's Rick. Put on my virtual phone number. If I have 200 people on these lists, I go out and put out 200 sticky notes. You can do yellow. You can do pink. You can do lime green. I don't care what you do, whatever gets their attention, you can use the stamp to put them on there because people always answer these things. They have a high return rate, which means people that respond to it. And if I go out and put 230 people call me back, I just saved myself 170 painful conversations 
It's extremely efficient with the advent of Ring Doorbell and tools like Deal Machine. You can easily do this. It's actually really cool. So my other favorite list, which I'm never going to overlook, it is probably the most boring, the least sexy list, but it is driving for dollars. Because if you don't go out and do driving for dollars, it is like having a cheat sheet of properties that look bad, that are ugly, that definitely need help. And if you have that list and say you have a couple hundred people or 500 people on it and say, I had a list of 10,000 that I bought through a list broker or I pulled them through PropStream or Batch, whatever. I have no idea how long it's going to take me to get to those lists. I'm probably going to wind up cold calling it. I'm going to do text and I have to skip trace all those phone numbers. And keep in mind, guys, the driving for dollars, other than the skip trace part, you don't even have to do that if you do the reverse driving for dollars while you're doing it simultaneously, which is pretty cool. And it gets a lot of effect. But if I had 500 like ugly houses and then I had 10,000 high equity owners, the list of 500 is going to crush the 10,000 list because you get through the list faster. It's much more direct. There's a higher probability of getting a great wholesaling deal. The 10 grand, I have no idea. So the only way I can find out is either I got a cold column and or text them or basically do direct mail. And all that can be expensive. So if you're on a limited budget, which a lot of you are, and I get it, trust me, Doing the driving for dollars is absolutely imperative. You have to do that. So um, I'm looking at your questions here. I will answer these questions shortly. Let's, let's finish everything up here. Now, it goes without saying, networking gets you a long ways in this business. Now, networking isn't just so you get to know everyone. Networking is the getting to know your potential business partners. Number one, who's the best cash buyers in your markets? If you don't know that, I know you're not working your cash buyers list. Number two, what are the hottest areas to buy at? And where are the cash buyers buying? If you're not working with cash buyers, you don't have this intel and you are missing out. You see, the more intel and the more market data you can get, the more effective you can be in your marketing to find motivated sellers in wholesale. Networking. If you're like, Rick, well, how do I do networking? Networking is really simple. You just, you got to get in your car, get on your bike, get on your tennis shoes, and you got to go out and connect with people. My favorite way, if you're brand new, one of the easiest ways to do is go to one of your local RIA meetings. This is just short for Real Estate Investors Association. Pay for a membership to get in there, 10 or 20 bucks or pay for the year. It's like 150 bucks, 200 bucks. Don't buy any of their programs because they're just selling you. Sorry to tell you this. This is how they make money. The, the program director basically jobs to put butts in the seats. And then basically they have a very slick salesman come and speak to you guys. And from that, they split the proceeds. So now that you know exactly what they're doing, the most valuable time you can get at these events is just before the event. And then right after, typically in the lobby or in the parking lot, actually some of my best deals have come from that. Now, what do we do? You network, you hand out business cards, electronic cards, whatever your motor mission is. And you always talk to people from their interest levels. What can I do to help you out with your business? And do not be that person that walks in a networking event or a room and says, give me all your cash buyers because you aren't looking for relationships. You just want to take. And if all you are is going to take from people, you can't offer a symbiotic relationship. 
and everyone's going to run from you. Whenever that person comes to any meeting and all they do is chase me down for cash buyers, I go to the opposite end of the room because I already know what their intentions are. They're just going to take, 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 and they're never going to offer you anything. Guys, don't do business with people like that because they're showing you their true self. I would believe them as fast as possible. Okay. Now, one of my favorite ways of networking also is going out and meeting with all the realtors. And you can call them, but basically I like to attack realtors in two ways. How do I do it? Number one, I find realtors that will actually listen to wholesalers, basically cash buyers like us. And I try to teach them if you ever have a house that's tired, weak, lonely, ugly, problems with the roof, not going to pass a conventional inspection, not going to get a conventional market, call me. I buy these houses for cash. I can pay your commissions. We move with speed. Why do I do that? Because realtors talk to 95% of the sellers out there. Eventually they get properties and most realtors will not admit when they do not work with cash buyers. Most realtors don't even slightly understand cash buyers. It is a dream for them, but they find them very difficult. So if you have a robust cash buyers list, which you should do at this point, then you are already three steps ahead of the game. So help the realtor out because they don't want to put on MLS. They don't want to mess with the days on market and they don't have the cash buyers to buy those properties. Those are my favorite. My second favorite way, if you want to work with a realtor on an expired listing, although sometimes expired listings, the sellers are just crazy. It's not even the realtor. They just did what the seller wanted. But eventually all sellers break down at some point. They don't break down by calling them six months while their property is on the market. It's when they take it off the market and it expires that possibly they're open to talking to wholesalers like us to fix that problem. So just understanding that. Um, and the other networking type is going to be JVs. This is short for joint venture. This is basically when you go out and talk to other wholesalers, sometimes talk to realtors. Where do I go? I go to my title companies. I look for property managers. I look for other wholesalers that are really good with motivated sellers, but have a crappy cash buyers list or vice versa. Ones that have a great robust cash buyers list. I have the motivated seller leads and contracts. And if I can find someone to complicate the stuff that I suck at, then I can actually make a very, very awesome living doing wholesaling. And that's what I, when I started wholesaling, I primarily focused on motivated sellers. I used JVs for my dispo because I didn't want to take the time to do JVs. Eventually somebody taught me JVs and basically after my first year and a half, I never, I didn't do a lot of JVs after that, but it worked out well. My first, I think 35, 36 deals were JVs. That's how much I valued doing it. So don't overlook JVs, guys. Just make sure um, when you do a JV, you either have a joint venture agreement in full and or if you find the cash buyer for that deal, which is how a lot of you guys do your JV deals, make sure you write the assignment agreement and make sure your fee is spelled out in that assignment of contract and you follow it to a T. When you don't use your assignment of contract, you're running a huge risk of not being paid in the JV deal and that's no good. Once you have that assignment of contract and or a JV agreement, make sure you get over to the title company so your interest is always protected and follow up and find out when the exact closing date is. It's important you do all this. Now, 
With that being said, guys, either you can make 100K the quick way, which I have done it and I've seen people do it over and over. Yes, even do it as a beginner, but I'd rather you acquire the skill sets to make your first 100 grand. I don't care how long it takes you to get there because I find once wholesalers make 100 grand, it's really easy to make two, three, four, 500, 600,000 quickly. Why? Because all they have to do is scale their operations. A lot of them just add direct mail. Some of them find um, other employees, which they can basically do delegation with. They bring in an acquisitions manager, they get a dispo person, and all of a sudden they can do a monstrous amount of deals. Remember, the whole goal is how much or how hard do you want to work in wholesaling? The, the reality is you're going to do the work. But honestly, if you can incorporate probates, if you can incorporate wholesale deals, once you make your normal 20 to 30 to 40 grand in wholesaling under your normal wholesaling operations, by rotating in those JVs and those wholesale deals, you can easily pop $100,000 a month. I never thought it was possible, guys, and I'm just telling you to do it. I, I do it with such regular ease every month, and you should consider doing this too. So with that being said, let me jump over the comments and then we'll um, take some lives here. And <clears throat> let's see here. Um, what's up, Junior? I appreciate it. What's up, Hillary? How's it, how's, how's it going here? Okay, let me jump up at the top because I skipped a lot. Um, <laughs> Victor says, waiting for a uh, another cold calling of you and your son uh, cold calling. Actually, I think we'll do that uh, probably in the next couple of weeks here. I got to get Jack in the studio when I do it. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll do that on Tuesday or Thursdays. I'll figure it out. I do like that, though. What's up, Winston? Um, do the same rules for... I'm not sure on that. I can't answer that. Smokey, if you can't sign in to freeholesaling.com, um, well, there's a, let, let me give you the, uh, the spelling to do it. First of all, um, where is it? It's right there. Freewholesaling.com. Uh, you were missing an E in there. And if you still can't get into it, then go into an incognito screen or clear your cookies or your caches and, or both. I'm not a computer expert. So <laughs> We get that complaint a lot more than you think we do. So I want you to understand this, guys. <clears throat> For you to be successful and get to the 100K in wholesaling, I will tell you this. You are going to have to lose your ego. I tell you this over and over. If you don't know what your ego is, it is your self-image of what you think you are. And it's very selfish. It's very, very prideful. And it never wants to be wrong. And you're always trying to one-up somebody. And if you let your ego run everything you do, you're, you're not going to make it. Because the only way to learn and receive information is you got to bury your ego. Because if you're constantly judging everything, if it's right or wrong, you have zero shot to grow as a woman, as a man, as a father, as a mother, as an aunt, as an uncle, whatever it is, I'm telling you, you've got to lose your ego and really really, really important. You're going to have to lose your excuses. So many of you 
I'm not calling names out, but you hop on here and you tell me what your excuse is why you can't do wholesaling. So why would you go on a live stream that's about wholesaling from a successful wholesaler and then get on this thing and like bitch about your circumstances? I can't fix them. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my, a silver spoon in my mouth. Zach definitely was. A lot of people go, oh, you just gave Zach everything. I didn't. I was brutal on Zach. And to really raise children in the right manner these days, if you truly want your kids to be successful, your job as a parent is to make them independent. And that's going to require struggle. And when you struggle, people find themselves. But the only way to truly struggle is you got to lose your ego and you've got to lose your excuses. If you don't lose your excuses, guys, you'll always have it. And if you have an excuse, you'll always have a reason why you want to do this. I want you to look at this quote here. You can either make a million excuses or a million dollars, but you can't do both. And I've never found a more truer quote than this one. Million excuses or a million dollars. It is completely up to you because if you try to do both, you will get neither. Your excuses won't let you in. You won't make a million dollars. So you ever met that person? Just everything they tell us, like there's a reason why they can't do anything. After a while, they're, they're unlimited the amount of excuses you can have. There can be reasons some people don't get things, but the reality is if you lose your excuses, you lose your ego, you find a way to navigate through those things to get the job done. But if you put up excuses all day, you'll never get it done. <clears throat> Listen, here's the reality. You got to get busy in your wholesaling journey. You've, <laughs> you got to do it. I've never met anyone that can skip the journey. I've had people come to me, I got brick, I got 50, 100 grand, I'm gonna make this a piece of cake. And you know what? I'm more concerned with those people than the person that starts out broke with me. Why? Because they think the money's gonna buy their way in. Now you earn that money by being hopefully smarter in another business or another asset class. And the reality, if your parents gave you that money or it's like trust fund money, most likely you're going to get killed. Because if it was that easy, everybody could buy their way in the wholesaling and the rest would be already done. But that's not the truth. <clears throat> Listen, at the end of the day, winners win and losers lose. I know it's a hard statement. I know some snowflakes are going to freak out when they see this. But listen, if you're a loser and that's all you focus on, that's all you do, you're just constantly going to lose. And if you are swinging your bat hard as you can to be a winner, you're taking the steps, you're doing the action, you're losing all your excuses, and you lose your ego, it is hard to wind up in the loser's bracket. So guys, winners win, losers lose. Decide which camp you want to do. They're both hard. Like they are both brutally hard. And some people think one's so much easier than the others. The only difference is the winners are in control. Okay. Losers wait till it gets so painful before they actually take any action. By the time they get to that point, they're so far behind that they get overwhelmed and they procrastinate and they never make it happen. And that's where all the excuses from. So choose which camp you want to be in. Listen, the reality is <clears throat> you can be a healthy fit person or you can be a fat and out of shape person. They're both hard, but guess which one's harder in the end. If you never take care of your body and you eat whatever you want and you just let it go, you are going to have the ultimate pain in the end because for you to get your health back, you're going to have to do extreme measures and it's going to be really hard. So why not just do the daily manageable task to consistently do your marketing, 
contact sellers and keep all your list going to get your hundred grand. I'm telling you a hundred grand is like the bare minimum wholesaling. Cause if you can make a hundred grand, you can make a million with your eyes shut, but you just got to get those first few deals done. And you're no different than me. When I started out, I was like, how the hell am I ever going to get this done? I just got rid of my excuses. I lost my ego and I wind up getting it done. So Okay, let me see what questions we got. Um, let's see here. Wait a minute. Let's go down here. If you're Okay, awesome. So what we're going to do is we are going to, if you have a question, put it in the comments, introduce yourselves, let me know where you're from. And guys, as usual, please, if you are watching this, please make sure you smash that like button. Please, please make sure you smash the like button. And people are always asking, Rick, how can I repay you? The biggest compliment you can give to me is hit that subscribe button because I will give you never seen before videos. I don't do them flip with Rick. I don't do them on my, channels, my son's channel. So you got to be subscribed to this channel. So guys, smash the like button and make sure you hit subscribe and let's jump into it. So let me check the messages here. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so let's jump into it. So if you have a question, just ask it in the comments. Feel free to introduce yourself. We talk about wholesaling here. Please don't go sidebar me on like soup and stuff because that's the only way I'm going to kick you out. So um, we have to respect each other, not spam like stupid services. So um, I've had a lot of that lately and I try to protect you guys against it. So let's take them in order here. What's up, Chris? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. I saw your uh, message there. So tell me what's going on. Um, yeah, so deal closed on Friday, which was great. Um, okay. And yeah, I was asking my attorney about like why stuff may be taking long to close. And like she, like you said, like old house, um, he owed some taxes. And then uh, I think the other attorney, the, the seller's attorney was just being slow. But it was like a month. So yeah. So let, let me tell everybody is so uh, Chris had a challenge where he had, he had a good deal. He had all the paperwork done. But he's like, dude, it's taken forever to close. And so uh, Chris is on his journey. And what I told him is you, you, you just have to figure out, is this stuff you can control or are you being manipulated? So he had to find out in his market how long the average deal took to close. I believe you were in a uh, attorney, attorney state, right? Mm-hmm. New York. <clears throat> and then basically it was just an attorney dragging his feet. Guys, what you and me try to get done in a day, an attorney would expect a minimum of 30 days. And I have some attorneys, I can only contact them like once a month. They act like they're the busiest people in the world and it does drive you nuts. Um, some attorneys are just really bad and ruthless. And as long as the deal closed and it was like reasonable, stick with it every now and then. Sometimes you have to replace attorney, but you gotta, I always say, what's the norm? So if you close the deal like one week in your market and then you're struggling to get one done in like a month or two, if you're not using the same people, that can be the problem. But guys, some stuff you just can't control. 
Like as much as I want to get a deal done as fast as I can, I sometimes have to get attorneys to sign on, uh, real estate agents and brokers to sign on, and then sometimes title companies. So the first and foremost, the one you want to be in the most control of is going to be the escrow or title company because they want it, they only get paid when the deal closes. So they're usually on your side. If you guys pick a bad title company and they're super slow, the attorney's going to be three times slower. So knowing that, that's it. Why'd you wind up uh, taking home on that deal? Uh, it was 10K. There you go, man. Like, yeah. So you got to hit some like singles and doubles like I guys talked to you about. Not every deal is a home run, but remember, I always look at risk versus reward when I do this. So if you look at it, if you're going to go to Vegas, right, and you're going to bring a thousand dollars, and the house is what was the house has like a fifty-five percent advantage over you, whatever it is, it feels like ninety on me. When you do these wholesaling deals, I'm doing deals that are eighty to ninety percent every time. So if I did ten deals, one might not work out. The numbers are always in my favor and I'll always make money, period. And that's the only thing when you get these, because in the end of the day, Chris, you weren't the one in control of the attorney. And sometimes if you push an attorney too hard, they like really make you pay for it with additional time. So I think that's awesome, man. What else going on? So I leveraged what you were talking about in this video, networking. I always go to RIA meetings, which is like, that's been something that's, just made everything snowball way faster. It's a really good thing to do. But, so tell um, me, tell me your experiences with RIA meetings. Like what, what is the, uh, I mean, I know I give you kind of quick crash courses on like how to do them, but mm -hmm. like what, what do you find the sweet spot with connecting with people at, at your local RIAs? So there's two local RIAs and mm -hmm. it's pretty much all the same people between both of them, but, mm -hmm. um, they have a coffee meetup every Tuesday that I go to. It's my favorite one. And yep. it's very chill um so much advice like so much self selflessness um from everybody that's experienced there especially if you are like keep coming back and like um show them that you're actually working hard yeah. um they'll just help you with everything uh, it's it's just been great and then they have uh main events like once a month mm -hmm. So they, guys, they have like little coffee breakouts. Um, like they do a lunch at my local one. I try to go like once every three months. And number one, I like to always get a feel of like what local investors are doing. So what my favorite thing about it is if you know all real estate is local, especially wholesaling, these events will help you confirm or like deny numbers. So if you're struggling with an area, you can find out quickly if people are having the same problem with like pricing appraisals, um, you know, certain houses in these neighborhoods. Like we found a neighborhood uh, is basically around seven years old and they had these old copper pipes and the copper pipes are narrowing and narrowing because they get filled while well, repair in one of these little homes is like $80,000. So whenever you get one run down and the water's not working, I already know it's not a good wholesale deal. And the only way I found that out was through my local RIA. So it's going to help you find problems. And then once you know it's a problem in that development, um, you're going to have someone come in and just test and like inspect the pipes. But like some of them, like there's two houses I had to get out of contract recently. It just, the repairs exceed, almost exceed the value of the house because the whole house is covered in concrete in the pad. 
and we'd have to rip up the entire kitchen. It just, it's just not worth it with the mortgage that was on the property. So um, I like Rias, guys. And honestly, some of like my best friends in real estate, especially wholesaling, I met at these Rias when I was starting my journey and we all kind of like we helped each other out. Like if they someone needed a buyer, so it was a natural way to do JVs. And that's why I always talked about JVs are really, really good. So I've done driving for dollars, reverse driving for dollars with all these people. Great, great tips. And uh, I always tell you guys, listen, I'm not trying to tear the Rias up, but I used to run one for seven years. The creator of it, their job is to put butts in the seats and get people excited. And then they find other speakers. The speakers usually split it with them. That's the whole coaching philosophy. You guys know how I feel about that. I think it's just ridiculous when you just sell packages left and right. So long as you understand it going into that, you can do some like pretty cool stuff. So I still love Rias because I know everyone's there for wholesaling. And uh, there's always somebody that can help me do something. And guys, please don't walk in these meetings. Have you found the person that's like, give me all your cash buyers, Chris. Give me all your cash buyers now. I mean, there's a couple of people that come in and they're just like, they show up once and they're like, oh, I'm trying to yeah. trying to get into like whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I never see them again. Yeah. Watch them over time because everybody starts to avoid them like the plague. And like, I, I need your cash buyers. I need your cash buyers. I need this. I need that. And it's just like, so remember, if you don't try to help people when you go to these meetings, they are definitely not going to help you. So if you think it's just one-sided, you're never going to get very far. So you got to keep that in mind. So, okay. So uh, you got some other deals you're working on? Oh yeah, I do. I do. Um, okay. Well, so from, I was, so where I was going with the Ria is I met this guy uh, and can't really say much, but basically I got a list from him that I'm pretty sure like nobody has. Um, and I don't know how to approach it. So the list is basically, people that are it's a it's a waiting list to live at a retirement home basically got it so when i call these people i don't really I, i'm kind of wondering how to approach it i started calling today and i'm gonna have to go back through it because a lot of them live in apartments and some yeah. of the addresses aren't there so i'm just gonna go through it clean that out but um i just was going with like hey i see you uh, own a property in this area I'm actually looking to buy properties in this area. I um, was wondering if you or anyone you know has a property you'd be interested in getting an offer on. And it's it nobody's like cussed me out or anything. There was one woman who actually said like, "How did you even know?" Like, but the rest of them were. I, I don't know if that's like the best way to approach it. It is because first of all, you can't tell them how you really got the info. No, if you're no. trying to protect your source, I assume, right? Yeah, it, it's a, yeah. So I love that you're thinking outside the box. Just, I, I, I wouldn't, your list is not an easy one to get. You got to know somebody. So I would simply call them and go, hey, listen, I'm looking to buy more houses in your area. I know you've lived at this address for a while. Have you ever considered selling the property? And that's it. And, and that way you can't get in trouble. You're not stepping over the line. And then basically, if they have interest, which obviously you probably know they have, this is the whole advantage of any list you have. If I have a code violation list, I'm hoping they know they have a problem and I can be their solution for it. There's no difference in what you're doing there too. Now, in the old days, we used to get these lists from 
um, the director of like these retirement homes, but obviously they don't give out that list anymore. So guys, don't ask me to tell you how to get this list. If Chris wants to share it with you. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> yeah, but that, but anyways, um, this is how I learned most of my lists, guys, by going to like local RIA meetings and finding out what type of list, what list are you having success with and which list are you pulling to really kill it? And that that's all you got to do with that. So, um, but uh, maybe Chris one day will, I, I'm sure it's like a friend of a friend type of deal. Cause it's, it's not a list guys don't go up and walk. I don't even know. Where you got it from. And, yeah. And expect to get that list. So. I, just I knew somebody else had access to that list, but they did have privileged rights to get it. And um, I'm pretty sure they get in trouble if they uh, knew they were sharing it. So we'll we'll protect your interest on there. Make sure you don't do it. So just keep swinging the bat, Chris. And now that you know the norm in your market and how it works in your attorney state to close, then you should be able to close anything, hopefully within 30 days. Maybe your probate take a little bit longer. So any other questions for me? Uh not really. I mean, okay. Uh, do you ever do short sales? Uh, I'm very good at short sales. Um, the, the, the problem with short sales is uh, <laughs> the United States government's gotten so involved in them. Um, it's a, they're just a pain in the ass. Yeah. So number one, I will tell you this, the, the biggest problem I see with short sales, everybody thinks they can get out of paying for a property. It's hard to do now. You have to qualify just like you do bankruptcy. And most people don't qualify for bankruptcy. So a short sale basically means you owe more than the house is worth. And you're asking the bank to take a discount so you can get the, uh, the asset um, sold. The challenge is the bank has a right to put a uh, judgment for the deficiency on the homeowner. And unless you have some sort of incredible reason, horrifying accident, very, very tragic family event that can be documented, just losing your job is not going to free you from it. So keep in mind, guys, the banks don't own the property. The banks just service the loans and they're in like billion dollar portfolios. So a lot of you guys think the bank owns it. They're just the servicing. They're, they're kind of like the, uh, the paper pusher and banks love for them to go on forever. So the average, I would say the average, uh, short sale in today's market is going to take you six months and it's closer, going to be closer to nine. And here's the only way I like to do short sales. One day they'll come back and be prolific, but they're not overly prolific right now because of what's going on in our market is you have to control the listing, meaning you better know that realtor. So if you control the listing, the homeowner, and you're the cash buyer, you have a shot at doing it. And nine times out of 10, you should not be negotiating the short sale. You can go out and find someone professionally to do it for you. Usually you can find title companies to do it and you give them like a thousand dollars, $1,500 if it goes through. So you do not want to negotiate them. The paperwork's brutal. The biggest challenge with the other biggest challenge with short sales is getting your home homeowners, the seller to cooperate because, um, every 60 to 90 days, they got to resubmit all financials, all banks. They got to do two years tax return. And if they're doing anything funky or something, it, they're never going to qualify it. So right off the bat, I've had doctors come to me want to do short sales. Like they don't qualify. They're just looking to have a miracle and you can't do that. So if there's a qualifying event and it's a good property, you can actually, you do have a shot at it. 
And then keep in mind, most likely the bank's going to put a restriction. You can't resell the property within 90 days and it's kind of messy, which means you have to find a way to actually fund it. You're never going to be able to sign that property. Now, there are some cute methods that gurus have taught all over the country, but they all borderline ethical issues, meaning like you can pay me to switch this contract to do this and that. But if you really know about it, technically, I think you're committing fraud. That's why I don't do that crap anymore. So um, now I did short sales from 2009 to 2012, 13. Why? Because there was more short sales than regular listing out on the market. And that's the only reason I did it. So um, just to give you a heads up with that. So, but they might become more prolific. The biggest downfall you have with short sales is um, the bank. One or two things, they're going to do a 90 day re uh, resale restriction, which um, is illegal to do because the bank doesn't own the property. So the fact that they can institute that sucks. <laughs> And then number two, a lot of them say you can't make more than a 20% profit from what you bought it for, which is even more bothersome to me. But because then you got to try to find a way to manipulate the numbers. And then once again, you come in like areas of fraud. So <clears throat> just keep in mind, there is a high failure rate with um, short sale properties and some banks don't want to even hear any type of negotiation. So Wells Fargo's and like the lower end tiered banks are usually very difficult when doing them. And so you waste a lot of time. So I just let you guys know when I did short sales, I would have between 30 and 50 properties going at all times. And you would get two or three that would always come out. And then the other ones, they just never worked. That's because you're going to have to have volume to make that work. So you have to have 100% control, Chris, because if the client's even difficult, the seller, you're just going to waste your time. And that's nine times out of 10. They don't want to do tax returns. They don't want to give you uh, bank stubs and they don't want to give you their last, um, you know, W-2s. And if you can't get that information every 90 days, you'll, they'll just kick you out of the short sale. Okay. All right. Yeah, Makes I'm working sense. with a broker, so hopefully. Yeah. And then the best person I find to help with a short sale is I usually go to the title company and they will do it for like a fee. But remember, a lot of them don't work out, so I don't prepay any of them. So if I give them five short sales and one works out, they get $1,000 they kind of lose out on the other four. So it's not that great of a deal for them. And then uh, be careful. There's some professional negotiators. I used to get any short sale negotiated between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars And then I got people coming back with ten and $15,000 bills. Just make sure you know what you're getting into if you hire someone to do your short sales. And by the way, some law firms actually handle the short sales, but they usually charge you in advance up front. Sometimes it's worth it, but I would never, ever pay that up front. So. Okay, Chris. Awesome job. Keep it going, man. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Dimitri, you there? Yeah, what's up, Rick? What's going on, man? Nothing much. So um, we've been, I think we spoke, I've spoken to you before in the past. I'm um, in the Oregon market. Um, and I started back around eight months ago, me and my partner. We closed around three deals since then which is pretty good. Um, just under 60 K we've, we have an assignment fees. Okay. Um, so basically we're just looking at how we should spend the money, how we can scale up. Um, the past two months, we closed our third deal in August, end of August, the past two months we've been trying to scale up and it's just kind of been a headache. Um, well, tell me what you're doing. 
we're kind of so we hired a virtual or a cold caller um so, so we're training them constantly um just to get leads and stuff and it's just been since then it's just been hard to get consistent leads every week to eventually get consistent deals what we're working we're working to get one to two deals a month instead of doing a deal here waiting a month or two yeah so how did you get your first three deals so first first deal was off the code violation list from the dialer cold call good job um second deal was a probate um cold call awesome um, and then the third deal took this is the longest deal to close but it's obviously the biggest fee um we it was the very first call one of us made it was off the water shut off um and then that took around six months to close till we got a contract and then we negotiated got under contract and closed and that took around six months and that was the last deal to close i got it and which market are you in again uh oregon it's impressive to do that in oregon like just mm -hmm. you got a strange market over there yeah but yeah, like sure. you're there so here's yeah. my rule for everyone i say once you can hit five deals you've already proven you can do the business mm -hmm. now you got to find a way to scale up your operations to get as many deals as you can exactly. so you're very good at cold calling so as long as you can manage a cold caller and manage the kpis and keep an eye on someone and delegate yeah. that that is an excellent way to get going yeah mm -hmm. now if you have some other discretionary funds and you're very comfortable with the three deals you've done i prefer you have five mm -hmm. i would like to see you get in direct mail i'm, I'm completely biased because direct mail makes uh it does take stress off now you start getting inbound leads and when you have inbound leads you usually get a little bit more motivation and it's much more friendly exactly. cold calling is a lot harder um it's faster yeah. and it's more price efficient but like once you have some money take some money towards cold calling because not cold calling i'm sorry direct mail and add that because you're going to get a four to five times return so if you spent twenty five hundred dollars a month on direct mail you can expect to get four to five times that. So 2,500, you can easily turn into 10 grand. Mm -hmm. And so many people look at like direct mail, like, oh my God, it's going to cost me. I'm like, I look at completely different. It's a complete investment in my company. Yeah. I, I, I would, I do a lot. And uh, in the beginning, I was scared to death because I couldn't see how much money I was going to make. And you got to find a way to look past it to make that kind of money. And then after a while, you go like, my God, this is nice because we got an extra good like 10 to 20 leads coming in a month. And all I got to do is like close them at my current ratio and it's going to make like a ton of money. So um, it works well. I So you need to expand on your cold calling. Mm -hmm. And I would go over to um, mailingmastery.com. Let me put it up here. Um, I do, I did the whole damn thing free. And yeah. it will kind of show you like, it'll explain the theory of how I do direct mail and it works very, very well. And okay. I, I think you're well, you might not be there right now. Mm -hmm. It's up to you if you want to take the leap or not, but I'm telling you, um, mailing masteries, like one of the really cool things I did. And then I'll also put this on the bottom screen. It, it's up to you. It's not, it's not a requirement, Dimitri, but yeah, um, I do offer the flip with Rick plus. And right now I'm running a program where uh, I'm doing partnerships. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what do I do with a partnership? It's a partner. It's people I actually partner up. I don't charge them any money for it. 
and we do direct mail together. And I actually have a meetings um, on Monday nights. I think I do it at seven okay. and only people will flip with Rick plus the whole idea is it is extremely concentrated to direct mail. And then we break down your market. We come up with a budget and we show you how to consistently do it. Yeah. And um, people love that stuff. But like in flip with Rick plus you basically have four or five extra days to talk to me and Zach bounce business ideas off us and help you with your marketing and the scaling of your operation. So I've given you a yeah. couple ideas. You can easily do it on your own. You don't need me to do it, but it is a nice one to have with me. And then that's how a lot of people are doing deals with me right now is you pay the marketing cost. I show you how to break down your market. Mm -hmm. We deep dive into it and we spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with you. And then that can break down cold calling even if you want to do that. So just yeah. ideas for you. Just okay. expand your cold calling and look at direct mail and see what it would look like. And mm -hmm. here's the key to direct mail. You got to come up with a three month budget commitment. If you come up with any less, don't do it. So for example, if you're going to spend three grand a month on direct mail, which is more than enough, mm -hmm. that means you have to have $9,000 set aside so you can make it profitable. Yeah. Because okay. in the beginning you're starting from zero, trying to go to hundred miles an hour. It does take time. And you've yeah. got to like be very careful with your list. And the reason most people avoid direct mail in the beginning is they don't understand it. They're scared they're going to make a mistake and they think it's just going to cost them money. So three grand, if I give you a four time, four to five times return, that would be 15 grand. And yeah. after a while you're like, dude, I want to spend that every month. Exactly. I let you guys come up with your budget, but these are all ideas for you because you're dude, you're just about there. Like I tell people, once you get the five deals, now you just got to find a way to scale your operations. You're yeah. going to have to put some money back into the business, but that money you put back in the business avoids you from constantly manually pulling every list, fighting with all these government lists. I still do them. Mm -hmm. Government lists got me to my first 30 deals, guys. But like once I found out how direct mail worked and cold calling and all this other stuff, it was great because I had all these cylinders going on. So I think you're well on the path. Mm-hmm. Dude, the faster you go, the better off like you're going to do it, as long as you do the work with it. So yeah, we're just trying to get to that consistent one and two instead of waiting a month or two a year and then nope. getting that. So yeah, that's the main goal. And I was actually in flip with three plus, but there's some because I'm under 18. There's something wrong with my uh like card and like identity issues and a lot of stuff happened. So okay, it was, we'll, we'll fix it if you ever want to get yeah. back in. But I'm just telling yeah, you, sure. like me and Zach are doing more partner deals and everything like that, mm -hmm. and I give. Listen, I'll just tell everybody, I give preferential to flip with Rick plus because mm -hmm. these people are committed and my program's like, it, it, it's a, it is the best deal out there. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, with it. So if you no, want to get back in, depending on when you joined, you know, reach out to us. But like, I think it would benefit you greatly because you're just right on that edge mm -hmm. and yeah, exactly. you, you can decide to stick to doing like one deal a month or you can ramp it up to five, Yeah, but you're going to need a little bit of help along the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I offer partnerships within where we both make money together. Yeah. Because if I don't think you can do it, I won't even take you as a partner. And like no, I tell, I'm very, very critical with people. But either way, man, like just find a way to just get a little bit over that edge. And I think you, I think you'll be very happy with it because the difference between making ten grand a month and thirty is very, very minor. It's like yeah. tiny little things. Mm -hmm. You just got to get better volume. And then now you can start paying money because now you know how to close deals. Once you know how to close deals, then you start investing in yourself and then it just goes crazy with it.
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you want me to, how do you want me to reach out? Cause definitely want to get back in. Um, I think uh, I send a mail, like send party. a uh, email to support at flip with Rick and put your name in the, uh, in the top part and tell me when you got in and out and okay. I'll go back and look because we've had some changes in there. I just got to make sure yeah. it's fair to everybody else. So take yeah, a look at it mm -hmm. and then keep in mind, guys, we do two free live events a year like that alone because we take two full days. We do 16 yeah. hours. Plus mm -hmm. we do another four hours of networking. That's 20 freaking hours. And um, we now have a, a, you have the availability, not only to DM, DM us through Flip with Rick Plus, mm -hmm. but you also have the ability to uh, do extended live streams with us for five days a week now. I, I can't yeah. make that, I'm dead serious about what I do in the business. So send that email support at Flip with Rick and just let me know what date you're in. And then uh, kind of just give me a synopsis of the issues and we'll see yeah. what we can do, okay? Okay, but you're there, so, man. You're like you're the yeah. perfect person for it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to spend ten grand to get these programs up and running, guys. I'm just telling you. You just yeah have someone that has a vested interest in you, mm -hmm. and that's why I like to work with the uh, the whole flip with Rick Plus thing. So okay, support at flipwithrick.com. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. Got it. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. I'll look out for it, man. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. See you. Abish, you there? Hey, Rick. Yes, I'm here. What's going on, man? Hey, yeah, I just had a few questions about that free um, SMS method. Um, I, I Google see Voice, that, right? Uh, yeah, like Google Voice, and I use my personal number as well. But um, when I like do like the skip tracing, I get like seven numbers for each owner. Huh. And I was just wondering, do I message like all of those numbers, or do I just do like the first three? Usually, you do the first three. That's gonna be the best way to do it. Okay, okay, it's and then my. What was that? No, go ahead. And then my other question was um, about the virtual. Uh, I said if I'm texting virtual and already sent five uh, messages with the Google voice number, um, should I still include that I'm like their neighbor when using my personal number, like Zach said? Yeah, just do it however Zach does. I don't know the exact details because Zach handles that. I, I believe it's somewhere between five and 15 numbers you can do without being uh, red flagged. Yeah. But just do what Zach teaches. I mean, it's if you're going to go the free method, you got to follow the rules with it. So yeah, it'll work. Okay. And about the um, title company, um, when I'm like when I submit my first contract to like the title company, you said there was like in the free wholesaling uh, course, you said there was like a lot of fees associated with starting. Um, with the title company. Yeah, with the title company. Um, yeah, they're going to have fees depending on what state you're in. Okay. It's your job to get a list of those fees. So you know what you're honestly paying and what you can negotiate. A lot of that stuff is highly negotiable. People never ask title companies questions. Like I, I got it down to the penny. I know exactly what a deal is going to cost me. <clears throat> and one part of it is going to be government fees. Yeah. The title company has nothing to do with that's what's going to be paid. And you can break them down the per thousand dollars of the transaction, you know, like recording fees, documentary stamps, um, yeah. stuff like that. And then you're going to have title fees and they're going to charge you a settlement fee. And then they're going to charge you all sorts of all the fees. They're, they're kind of bull, like they're bull. Like, I'm just going to tell you, like outside of the title insurance, they're all made up titles. You know why? Because I see I've dealt with hundreds of different title companies and they all like, 
They'll call it a servicing fee. One will call it a, a lean research fee. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So just you want to become familiar with them because once you become familiar with them, you'll yeah. know if you're getting kind of I've walked in the title companies and I'm like, what is this fee? I never agreed on it. (laughs) And the thing is, if you have all the fees and they gave them to you in advance Mm -hmm. and then they change it, like they can actually get in trouble for that. So you got to understand when people get mortgages, they have to have the, uh, the HUD delivered to them three days in advance. Yeah. Um, through what they call a CD, a, a, uh, a closure, uh, uh, it's not display. Uh, a closing disclosure. So I always tell people, find out what their numbers are. They're going to usually be the most negotiable stuff up front. And then mm-hmm. once you start to do some volume, then you can easily negotiate most of the, most of the title fees. You can't do the government fees. You can't and push any of those fees onto like the cash buyer or no? Yeah, absolutely. Everything is. Okay. So for okay. the most part, if you do wholesaling right, you can pass it on. But if you get much discounted rates with your title company, you can actually help your cash buyers off and even provide them a better service for sure yeah. than what a competing wholesaler is. But they're all going to ask you, what are the closing fees? So you might as well know them. And then what you can really do is start breaking down your closing fees to a percentage. So if you pay 200 grand for a property and it is like 2% on average of close, then you can spit some really fast numbers out when you're like trying to figure stuff out. But mm-hmm. if you do wholesaling right and you do an assignment of contract, you can pass the cost, the cost off the closer. But if they're outrageous, the uh, the new cash buyer is either going to get out of the deal or try to negotiate a new deal with you. So yeah, because they always say, Rick, what's the closing fees? I go, they're the standard fees, you know. I, and I go, listen, you know, it's basically two and a quarter percent in our county, and two and a quarter means I just multiply it by my sales price, and that's what they should expect to pay in fees, roughly. Okay, two and a quarter. Well, it's it's different. Listen, it's anywhere between one and like two and a half percent, depending on which state you're in. Okay, okay. So between one and three percent on average, depending on where you're at. Okay, and just so to like if you buy a house for a hundred grand, you kind of know if it was one and a half percent, you know it's about fifteen hundred dollars in closing fees. Okay, yeah. This makes it easy. Uh-huh. I hate when people are like I, until I know the closing cost, I can't do it. I go. So you're willing to pay me 300 grand for the property and you're going to let like two or three grand stop you from buying. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I just, be. I always figure it out and I move on and I, because I don't want to wait three hours for them to calculate it and call me back. I go, just assume it's about 2,500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to get them to take action, if I have to really move the property fast, I say, listen, anything over 2,500 bucks, I'll pick up on my side um, or it'll come out of the seller's portion on leads. And Usually I'm overestimating it and they're like pleasantly surprised. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you got to ask for the fees from the title company. Um, I've watched title companies vary their closing fees by two or $3,000. Just because if you don't ask, they tend to jack the fees up. Sorry, okay. title companies. You know, it's the truth. Yeah. They know people who close on a regular basis and people who don't. They whack the hell out of re- uh, people who buy properties for uh, full value. It's expensive. So yeah. just keep it in mind. Okay. And just going back to my uh, question about like the double whammy script, um, like Zach doesn't talk about um, like if I'm like texting for my personal number, if I should say neighbor to like, you know, the goal, the goal is to like get a response first. Right. Yes. But, yeah. So he doesn't, he doesn't say like um, if I should put, if I'm the neighbor, 
if I'm texting using my personal number, because I'm in the Dayton, Ohio market, but I live in Georgia. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just confused on should I put I'm their neighbor or no? If I'm well, listen, my... you just you you have to use something to just so you don't do the standard. You know, are you selling your house and you get a yes no answer? Yes. So by doing that, everyone's always worried. Well, what if they call me to the table, Rick? What if they find out I'm not their neighbor? Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't be so worried about it and just, uh, or you can use that, you know, my partner drove by the house and thinks it's a, it would be a great addition to, uh, to our portfolio. And yeah. you can do it like that. And you, you have a partner that drives around. I'm sure maybe you have some sort of boots on the ground that helps you in uh, Dayton over there, but it wouldn't be hard to even to find someone like that. So yeah, listen, whatever little, if you're going to do it, just make sure you can, cover your statement on it. That's all. Remember the, the whole point is to get them to engaged because if they don't engage you, there's nothing you can do. So mm -hmm. sometimes we do have to take some bold risks. I'm not telling you to outright lie to people, but <laughs> if you got boots on the grounds or you got a business partner, then you can easily blame it on them when they do it. That you just can't sit there with your mouth open. Like, Oh my God, I just got caught. Yeah. No, I was going to tell them like my parents live out there and I go visit them. And when I go, yeah, I got family them, out there and I got a business partner who actually drove by it. That was a really cool house. I go, can we talk about it? And that's it. Remember, you just got to get back to a qualification and that's it. So yes, when you sir. cold call, you're just trying to find number one. If I'm going through a thousand people, I got to find the ones that are interested and then I'm going to qualify. Them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get past, like if they're interested, there's no point in going through the rest of the jargon. So I'm all about pushing the limit between the double whammy script and just saying, listen, you drove by the house. looks like it's a great house and do something of, uh, to that liking, because once you're confident in your answer, remember every outcome in life is just based upon your interpretation of it. So if you feel like you didn't look at the house, something like that, find a way that you did. Okay. Yeah. Do you know to this date, even when I have to look at stuff that's got like a lockbox on it with like a realtor, which is very rare, by the way, Usually their off-market deals is I always ask the realtor what the code is because nine times out of 10, I never look at the house and I write the offer. Do you know if you don't ask them for the code, they never felt like they feel like you've ripped them off. They, they want everybody to look at the house. So I even, not that I lie about it. I just say, listen, you know, just give me the code. Eventually I will look at it, but for now I'm not. I yeah. want to find out if we can actually work on a deal. Make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yes. Okay. Okay, guy. Get to work. Thanks, man. Okay. Later. Okay. Let me go back and answer some questions here. Um, um, so a lot of people are asking for like the flip with Rick guys. It's actually, you can get them for free by doing a deal with me through sellmypaper.com. I have a lot of people in there that all you have to do is sell one, do one deal with me a year and flip, a Rick, flip with Rick Plus is free. Now, if you want to cut to the line, we basically charge $4.99 for the first month and it is $99 every month after that. You get two free live events, you get um, four live streams a week, and then plus you get me and Zach's personal DM. I, I can't make a better solution for you. Um, I, I think it's a great deal, but it, it's up to you in how you want to navigate that. So um, let's see what else here. <clears throat> Could 
Because remember, guys, when I first initially offered you, I go, I'm going to give you a deal of a lifetime. The people that took me off on it, they're set for life on it. But like, honestly, guys, my program is like an eighth of everybody else's. And I have to have some sort of like minor filter to get people in there. But people who really want to blow up their business and uh, have a great deal, you know, you can't, uh, you can't screw that up. Um, Daxis, if you have a great deal, you can check out sellmypaper.com or you can even send it to me at support at Flip with Rick. So I just got done doing three deals. Great deals from people I didn't even know. And my favorite deals are P uh, deals I do in um, Flip with Rick Plus because they're just a little bit more serious about it. So, um, okay, let's jump over here. <clears throat> and I have you there. Rick Young. Yeah, man. What's going on? Oh, man. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? It's awesome, man, speaking to you, man. Likewise. Um, I, I, I have my first deal, and it's closing um, uh, Friday, but the title company is hitting me across the head for like $7,000. I'm doing a double closing because of the lawyer. He fought me tooth and nail. It almost seems like he wanted the deal because um, the deal is out of Core Springs. And the lawyer that she went and got is out of Core Springs. And the um, it, it was such a, a good deal. The ARV is about 520, 530. Mm -hmm. I got it for like 380. And I'm selling it to the end buyer for four, 400,000. And well, you, should, you should have just called me and partnered up with me on that. Listen, I tried to get to you guys, and it's been like so. I don't know. I I won't say hard because no, you I've guys done, listen. Um, I I I spent a lot of my life in Coral Springs. I know. I know. I there. know. You said that last yeah, time so I was on. Uh, I know it well. So uh, very very desirable neighborhood. So have you closed on it yet? Friday. So there. Um, so who's making you do the double closing? The the lawyer, see, um, so I, I I gave them initially gave them my um my contract, and they said that they do not recognize the contract. So what they did, um, the lawyer, um, put a <clears throat> gave me a what is called a a realtor's contract to sign, and he marked it not assignable. So I argued with him to uh, change that, and he convinced the seller to. Uh, I'm a um, AC technician, yeah. right? And this is one of my customers. Okay. And but she went and got a um, a lawyer, okay. and the lawyer said, okay, if it's assignable, it can go on past thirty days. Something he said to convince her not to uh, agree on the assignability. So I I was forced to do a double closing. The double closing the, the um, closing cost me about seven thousand. I'm doing transactional funding. That's one percent. That's nearly ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah, I know. So, I, so let I me ask you, how did this attorney get into the deal? That he sold up up um her house uh, years ago, and yeah. she knows this, and she moved to Boca. So now her mother has felt ill, and okay she's uh she just said i i want to sell it and i was just in position to like okay i'm um i'll buy it well i tell you what so you originally had an assignable contract with your seller though right originally 
Yes. Why did you change that? No, she took it to, she took my contract to the attorney and uh -huh. the attorney said, listen, go with this contract. This contract is not official. She was scared. She's yeah. a, she has the power of attorney over her mother and she don't want to like yeah. get scammed or, so I had to um, give her some type of comfort. No, in I doing got so. it, but like saying in a contract's officials kind of, it's ironic, but um, so listen, the bottom line is you got the deal. You're going to get it done. The double closing sucks because you're giving up the transactional funding plus the another closing set. And um, this is what attorneys do. They, they just get their claws into everything. So That's what it is. You always want to go direct to seller. And remember, if you take care of people and you help them out, you wouldn't have screwed her, right? Yeah, you would have taken care of oh, her. Anyway. Of course, of course, of course. You actually I mean, probably could have given her some more money, and you could have sold it for like a higher price. But like, listen, don't go back. You're never going to get killed taking a profit. But when an attorney asks you to change paperwork, sometimes you have to stay a little bit strong. And here's what I would have told the attorney: if you want me to add some stuff to it, I'll add it to it. But me and the seller have a fundamental contract. State of uh, the state of Florida recognizes it. The federal government recognizes it. I'm not sure why you wouldn't recognize it. I don't need him to recognize it. I don't need him to do it. They just they do it till they get their like claws into you. So you got to be strong in the future and go. Listen, I always meet with the seller. I go listen. I I you're, you're more than welcome to have the attorney look it over. But we have an agreement. If you want to add something to the contract, I'll add it. But when they want to take it away, that's where I go, no, no, no. I'm not taking stuff away from the contract. That's what we agreed upon. And the only reason he does it is because he gets more fees. Um, is he part of the, uh, does he own the title company? No, um, I took him to my title company. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't <laughs> I, own Because the title I would, if he advised that, I would say my title company says, you know, my title company says they recognize the contract and it's perfectly legal and they can easily get disclosed and write title insurance on it. What is your problem with it? And go, listen, if you can send me an email and tell me what specific language you want into it, I'll consider it. And you got to hold tight. When someone says your contract's not official, you know, that's the biggest bullshit line you've ever heard, right? Yeah, I know. That, that's, I know, but, but the seller you can do it on the cocktail napkin. Right. So um, I had to argue even my uh, EMD. No. Um, he wanted $5,000 no. and I told the seller, I went back to the seller. I didn't even, I say, listen, if I gave you a dollar, that would have solidified the contract. You know, I said, I'm not going to tie up $5,000. I wind no. up giving them a thousand dollars to tie up though, bro. No, no. But listen, just look like, don't ever give up your rights on a contract. Yeah. And then you appease your seller by having them talk to your title company and your title company goes, listen, it's completely legit. Everything's fine. If he wants to add some language, you'll consider it. But like, here's what I tell every attorney. You're late to the party. I'm not changing my entire business to make your business better. Right. So, and then I always reassure the seller. And that's so in the future, don't let them don't let a uh, lawyer try to manipulate saying things. It's not official. What? Is there an, there's no such thing as an official contract. It's, it's, it's a unicorn. So you're fine. Just double close it. Like get your money.
And uh, now you know, once you have a signed contract, you never give something away unless you get something major in return. Right. So, like, be, I would have uh, re-signed that contract if someone was going to give me a reduction in fees or giving me some sort of additional benefit. That's it. And the lawyer will never give you anything for free, so you shouldn't give him anything for free. I can go back and negotiate it, but it's it's Friday. It's closing now. It's, it's going to be, be tough. tough now. Her AC was down yesterday, so uh, my technician went out there to fix her AC. So there you go, man. I, you know, <laughs> Listen, but I'll you, be you're doing a good I'll, job. Just don't let a lawyer try to like I. Lawyers do not guys. You got to stop letting lawyers scare you, especially when they're late to the party. So if you're proactive and you have a contract, you have rights. As long as you take care of your seller and they're very happy with the agreement you have, the lawyer's job is not to like change the agreement. Their job is to change the agreement that is so one-sided for their seller that it screws you over. And that's why I never, ever switch the contract unless I'm required by law. So unless you show me a statute, and I don't want to fight with a lawyer, but... Like, tell me specifically what you non-assignable contracts. It's a joke. People are so stupid. Yeah, my my issue was when I comped it, it was <laughs> close to five. It was it was close to five thousand, and um, a realtor comped it and it was like five five thirty. Yeah, you know. But um, my, the first thing I do after I close is I uh, sign up with uh Flip with Rick uh, Plus. Okay. So I'll be on the do team. that, and I will I will help you. Uh, I, I I will cut your learning curve like way down. I know. And plus, if you want to do Coral Springs, I know it really well. So okay, thank you. I've been watching you guys for three years. You guys are okay. awesome. Okay. All right. Awesome thank job. You. Okay. Let us know how it works out. Awesome. Okay. Have we'll do it. Bye. Okay, guys. Man, a lot of people are doing deals on here. So guys, make sure that you guys are out there. You are looking for motivated sellers. Okay, you can't just look at properties for sale. Go out there, find motivated sellers, get deals done. Remember, you can either make a million excuses or you can make a million dollars, but you can't do both. Guys, this is Rick Ginn, and uh, I will see you guys. Actually, I'm going to be on Flip with Rick live tomorrow at 1 p.m. So if you want to jump over, we'll continue the conversation. Uh, I got a really fun topic and uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow. See you.